Hello and welcome to the third episode in the Creating Customer Success podcast series. My name is Alex and I'm your host. And my name is Dan and I'm your co-host. In this series, we are interviewing customer success leaders to learn how to build and run the best CS teams. On today's episode, we're joined by Matt, who has previously worked as a CS leader at Autodesk, Rant and Rave, and is currently VP of Customer Success at SAP. So I guess probably just to jump straight in, yep, okay. it'd be great to firstly just introduce yourself to the audience with a little bit about your background, uh, how you got started into customer success and where you are now. Yeah, okay. Um, right, so yeah, so my name's Matt Mishkovsky. Um, I'm currently the VP of Customer Success for Amir here at SAP. Um, customer Success at SAP is actually a paid engagement, so it's part of a... Uh, holistic offering that we call preferred success that's made up of four key components um, one of those components is customer success second component is something we called education resources so we give access to our customers uh, exclusive e-learning content um, thirdly something we call success resources which are mini packaged engagements we deliver to our customers to help them improve either their functional or technical expertise of our software. Um, and the fourth area is something we called uh, enhanced support. And it's effectively taking our basic product support offering, enhancing it with improved SLAs. Um, and that's a paid engagement, as I said. Um, so I've been at SAP now for probably about 20 months. Um, prior to my time at SAP, I worked for, I guess, a scale-up CX software vendor called Rant and Rave, um, recently been acquired by Upland Software. Um, I was there for about a year um, where I was in charge of building, scaling and evolving their CS organization. Um, prior to that, um, where I spent, I guess, the majority of my customer success um, career uh, was at Autodesk. Um, and I was there for probably just coming up to six years. Um, joined Autodesk as they were, I guess, transitioning from a reactive support account management style function into something more proactive and truly customer success based. Uh, similar to SAP, they had a paid customer success, customer success engagement um, called uh, Enhanced Priority Support, sorry, Enterprise Priority Support, I had to remember there, it was a few years ago. Um, and I said that was a paid engagement as well. Um, and I was in charge of their CS offering for EMEA um, and APAC. So I had somewhere in the region of probably about 25 CSMs as I left there. And as I said I was there for about six years. Um, I guess the early start of my career, looking back, was probably in a variety of roles um, throughout the life cycle of a customer. So everything from marketing to customer service to pre-sales to sales to support. Um, and looking back, there was probably the odd couple of roles that I would class as customer success, but weren't called that 15 years ago. Um, and yeah, so it takes me back to the present day and where I am now Fantastic. SAP. Sounds like you've got lots of great experience that we can kind of delve into. And interestingly, actually, around paid engagement is something that we've come across in some of the interviews that we've had yeah. so far. Uh, the differences between people that pay for CS services versus those that just get them as part of the overall package and understanding maybe some of the pros and cons yeah. of both. So we can, yeah, I've got some questions. I'd love to go there's into. There's definitely a lot of on. debate around the industry at the moment. I know there's a couple of events that are coming up in the next couple of months where that's got a, a, a key focus and a, a prominent part um, of those events. And um, it is interesting, I guess, the way that I look at it, customer success has to be paid for somewhere. Um, I guess it's whether it's called out as a specific line item or whether it's hidden somewhere within the subscription cost or support costs. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting topic. Interesting. I guess how does that inform your kind of views on what customer success is and what it should be based on it being a paid service? Like you say, some, effectively, where does that cost? Yeah. I've got, um, because I guess if I look at my CS career, it's it's split into three companies and two of the companies have been paid for CS engagements and, and one hasn't. The, the obvious differentiator is the two paid engagements are for large organizations. Um, Autodesk and SAP are on a very different scale to, to rant and rave. Um, so I think that definitely has something to do with it. Um, my view is that if you give something away for free, people will question the value of it. So if you get something, it's like, well, if it's not worth something, then 
actually from the start it's very hard to justify a value associated with it so for me paying for something yes it makes it harder in the long run to provide that ROI back to the customer um, I think from the starting point it does ensure that the customer does their due diligence into why they're purchasing something and therefore the value they should realize from it in the long term so you think the customer is, is starting off with um, we're paying for this so we immediately have a plan as to how we're going to make the most from it I would like to think so from experience I definitely think there's challenges to that sure. um, if you look at maturity of customers if you look at their willingness to transition to cloud technology um, I think there's also internal vendor challenges so you have to get the sales positioning um, and being able to articulate the value proposition of your paid engagement well. If you don't do that from the start, then again, you're playing catch up. So there's definitely challenges to it, but I definitely think that your customer does more due diligence into why they're purchasing something um, before they go into it. Do you ever find that it's an easy line item for them to just turn around and say, well, okay, we don't want that if it reduces the cost? Yes. Yeah. Um, and again, you, it's a challenge I have at SAP. Um, it's important to work closely with your sales organizations to make sure that they are clear with the value proposition, <coughs> excuse me, so they can articulate the value to the customer. Um, me, my regional directors, um, some of my senior CSMs also support some of that pre-sales engagement. So they will be brought in at the latter stages of a deal to bring to life the value proposition. Yeah. Um, but yeah, consistently we're getting challenged on that, either as a new business opportunity or as a renewal. Yeah. Um, the renewal brings a different challenge because I would argue that we haven't done enough during the life cycle mm -hmm. to demonstrate value, and that brings some alarm bells. But I definitely believe that um, there's a value associated with customer success and articulating the financial value to it is important for the customer to see the value in the long run. And how do you go about, I guess, costing a service like CS with regards to the implementation, perhaps, of a particular <laughs> product or service? What would you ideally look at and then feed back to the customer in terms of why a service has a particular cost? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one without me divulging too much about kind of the financial modeling of companies I've work, worked at in the past. But there there is a percentage of the subscription cost that, that goes towards that and that percentage will vary company to company um, you mentioned implementation for me there's still a value proposition around your consulting organization professional services that may do that implementation stage so I wouldn't necessarily believe that that is something that is included in the the engagement but, but you're kind of joining the dots between the pre-sales phase the implementation stage and then the BAU's phase and that's when CS for me can bring a value internally as a vendor um, to ensure that nothing kind of falls down the, the, the cracks between that pre-sales process to, to delivery and, and BAU. Um, yeah, the financial modelling is, really, is a really hard one for me to kind of open up to too much without kind of getting into some of the detail between financial modelling and margins and, um, and, and the likes. I guess one of the things that it does help with is the internal conversation about the value that CS is bringing because you can immediately, like you said before, you can immediately assign well, this is how much revenue we're bringing in from a CS perspective. Yeah, I, I know, I think some of the topics that we can talk about in a bit are around kind of segmentation, CSM utilization. It does or it should provide a robust model to ensure that you know your resourcing needs and capabilities long term. Um, it allows you to provide a scalable, sustainable CS offering, not just for the immediate future, but for the long term. Um, but again, it really depends on the relationship I have with my sales partners, um, that they are reporting their pipeline accurately so that we can plug that into our financial model that allows us to plan our resourcing capabilities long term. Um, so that, that, as I said, there's challenges to it, but it definitely, definitely works for me. Fantastic. Now, I guess kind of going into um, more just around like the structuring of CS teams, and I guess this will differ based on the company, and it'd be interesting to get 
your views on this perhaps maybe at the different companies that you've worked at but how would you typically go about structuring a cs team and how does that perhaps maybe look differently across the life cycle yeah. of an organization it's interesting i mean there's a there's a bit of a running joke i've heard it a few times in in various cs events that um, when you ask a leader to talk about how they structure their CS team and their segmentation, they usually bring out a pyramid. And if you haven't got a pyramid, then you're not in CS. So um, <laughs> SAP, Autodesk, Rent-A-Rave, we had pyramids. Um, and, and what it typically looks like is three kind of segmentations, kind of a high touch, a medium touch, and a, a low touch. What you want to call that, to a certain extent, is is largely irrelevant. Um but it, 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 it varies dramatically on the company you work for, um, what software and, and service you're providing. Um, it should also vary, I would challenge, on your customers as well. Um, average deal size, the complexity of the product, how many CSMs you've got as well. So there's there's a variety of, of different topics that I would say influence how you may choose to, to structure your CS organisation. Um, at SAP, we have, going back to that pyramid, we have the three the three sectors. Um, so we have our flagship customer base, we have our growth customer base, and then we have our, our digital customer base. Um, flagship CSMs um, or associated with flagship customers um, are predominantly um, field-based. So we empower them to spend as much time as possible on site with our customers, intimately getting to know their business and, and having a very high touch model. Um, within the growth space, um, the majority of the time the CSMs associated with our growth accounts are office based. Um, we still ask them to get to know the customer intimately, but obviously they, um, they have a slightly different way of working. Um, they will have potentially more customers in our flagship um, CSMs um, and then we have our third and final which is our digital space which is where we utilize a pool of CSMs to deliver CS offerings to our smallest customer base um, and I guess it's utilizing um, technology predominantly one-to-many deliveries um, to be able to service th those customers um, so st structuring a CS team for, for me if I look at the three companies I've worked for Again, I would kind of look at Autodesk and SAP in the same bucket and different to, to Rant and Rave. Um, but there's so many different factors, I think, that you need to consider before um, before you decide and determine how to how to structure your CS team. Um, speaking to some of my colleagues and peers that work in CS leadership roles, um, some of their CSMs are looking after 250 customers. Um I've never worked in that space. I mean, even going back to my time at Ransom Rave, which I would say was kind of a medium touch offering, the maximum number of customers I think my CSM said there was 10. Mm -hmm. A lot of companies that I speak to and CS leaders would class that by default as high touch. Yeah. Um, I would challenge that. So as I said, there's so many complexities to influence in how you structure a CS team, how you segment your customers that I think it... It depends on, on too many different factors to really kind of put a, a sweeping statement with it. So is this where you have to um, sort of put your customer focus mindset in, in place and understand if you were the customer, what kind of regular touch points would you want? How would you want that customer journey to look? I think I, th I think potentially, I think I think as customer success has evolved and matured, I think if, if you ask if you ask a hundred CS leaders how they segment their customer base. 99% of them would say using some form of financial metric. ACV, ARR, MRR, total contract value. Um, and I get that. It's the easy, quick, dirtiest way of doing it. Um, I think if you're looking at segmenting customers now um, or when you've got a more mature CS offering, um, I, would, I would be trying to challenge that um, and trying to align it more with the outcome that the customer wants to get from your software or service or the maturity of them which I think correlates to that outcome and and the way that we try and or the way that I try and review it at, at SAP is when we look at kind of the outcomes that we have with our customers we've kind of broken it down into th three thirds um, one is they are uh, outcomes that are support related second one is outcomes that is product related and the, th the third one is outcomes that are business related um, so some of our customers are just at the very immature stage where actually they bought this preferred success, this paid engagement, to 
bring stability to the way they use our software and therefore it's very support related so they're focusing on SLAs to incidents um, it's not the type of engagements we want to be involved in but we understand that that stage is where you're building credibility up um, it's where your customers are um, becoming more stable comfortable with your product and with your your complete offering that the product one and this is something that I have quite a strong opinion about and, and have this debate at, at SAP frequently, talking about adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people believe that adoption is a, a key part of customer success, and, and it is, but adoption really is a metric that matters to us as vendors providing software. Mm-hmm. Largely, our customers don't care whether or how much they adopt the software. And they probably do because they've invested money in it. But... The way that I think the most mature companies look at it is adoption is a vehicle to get to an outcome. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking a lot about adopting software, for me, they're more product focused rather than outcome focused. If you then take it to the next maturity stage, if your customers are talking about how, I don't know, success factors, the HCM platform that we have at SAP is going to reduce the time to hire or is going to help them retain their staff for a longer period of time, that is more outcome based and therefore the maturity of them is their probably our most mature type of customers. So I guess from that more focus on understanding their desired outcomes, helping them to achieve those as opposed to just monitoring like usage metrics yeah. essentially. Yeah, exactly. And as I said, I mean, I've had some um, some debates with some pretty senior executives at SAP that talk about customer success being around adoption. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that. It, we're not we're not going to separate ourselves from it. It's important. It's a metric that we can use to to, to, to measure customer engagement, their utilization of the product. It's got a value. But I think if your conversations are predominantly with your customer around adoption, it's more around product and product usage rather than outcome and what they actually bought your, your software for. What business problem is that software trying to fix for that customer so does that then feed into um i guess the growth section of the segmentation so it may be that you uh you bring on board a customer and initially you've understood exactly what outcome they would like to achieve so when they get to the you know the, the third level of maturity that you were mentioning um but their level of spend or what they have access to at the minute is not uh like what would be required to to achieve that outcome. So you want to work with them to help them get yeah. to that level. Yes, although I'm slightly contradicting myself because we are still predominantly in that space of a financial metric is driving our segmentation. Um, however, when it comes to engaging with our customers now and we're starting to talk to them about what they're trying to achieve with the software, we're almost segmenting the customer's maturity within our segments for how we've segmented our customers. So looking at my flagship CSMs, the, um, there's 35, 32 of them across EMEA. Um, when we're talking about the customer success plans they have in place, when we're talking to them about their outcomes, we're, we're putting that maturity of whether they're going to be product focused or outcome focused or or support focused into kind of our mindset, our way of working, our engagement model. So it's almost a segment within a segment at the moment. But but going back to, I guess, my original point, um, I would like and believe that there are companies out there that are now segmenting their customers based on maturity and outcomes and less just about ARR or MRR. Perfect. And do you then have any... um... I guess we kind of touched on them anyway, but like sub-segments. So do you tend to do any segmentation based on vertical or industry that the client is within? Um, little, very little now. Um, and I've got, again, I've got a couple of views around this. I think the, the one segment that we probably do is, is maybe around our products. So, so my team will cover a range of cloud products, everything from our CRM offering to our ERP solution to our HCM platform. There are certain products that are more complex than others that may require that skill set. Um, but we don't split it by industry. Um, I think one of my... Again, one of my strong views now is our customers want to be innovative. Um, they want to be different from their competitors. I would question if Bank XYZ 
learning from bank one, two, three differentiates them from, from each other. What makes them innovative and allows them to differentiate themselves is maybe learning from an automotive company or looking from a retail company. So actually, if your CSM can share best practices from different industries, that truly allows them to differentiate themselves from their competitors. So for me, I, I don't believe, and I think a lot of us have probably worked in companies where it has been split by sector, and there may still be companies out there that do that, and there might be a justified reason for it. But but my view is actually, if you really want to be innovative and help your customers be innovative, they need to learn cross-industry. Um, and, and that's the way that we've really worked. Yeah, and I guess it's it's, again, it's a mindset thing as well. Like innovative is more sort of pragmatic and long-term thinking isn't it in terms of how you can yep. um you know get ahead of your competition whereas as you say you know doing one small thing that one of your competitors are doing that's not changing the industry that's no. uh, a very small step exactly exactly perfect um one of the things i was going to ask about as well you've already touched upon it is things like success plans so what are the key things that go into those success plans when uh, the team are putting them together um so in an ideal um, in an ideal view the, the starting point should be that desired outcome um, and desired outcome and we've mentioned the, the phrase a few times already today desired outcome gets banded around lots in customer success today and it should do um, because ultimately I think that is really what we're striving to to work towards is helping our customers achieve the outcome the business problem that they bought your software or service or, or solution to to overcome um so for me in an ideal world if you're looking at the customer life cycle a new customer comes on board they've bought software to achieve an outcome that by default should go into the customer success plan and then you start breaking it down um and i guess there's two kind of other components that, that we look at sap um one is putting it into a format that allows it to be specific and, and measurable. So really kind of using the SMART acronym um, to correlate it back to um, that outcome. So it's less about, okay, um, we bought success factors to reduce the time to hire, actually making it specific. So what actually is the benchmark? What's the starting point of the time to hire? So 12 weeks. So actually saying um, we want to reduce the time to hire from 12 weeks to eight weeks by the end of December 2019. So we try and ensure that it's very, very specific when it comes to being measurable. So you're very clear with your customer about how they're going to do that, what good looks like, um, and when there's a, a, a deadline. Otherwise, if it's kind of open-ended, it can just quite easily drift, both on our side as a vendor and also on our customer side. Um, so we make sure that um, every outcome has a series of objectives that breaks it down into something specific and measurable um, and then you really get into the detail the, the 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 tactics how are you going to break this objective down into a series of tactics over a period of time mm -hmm. to help the customer achieve that um, and they're the kind of the three areas that we we really look at building the customer success plan out there's other detail that supplements that in terms of engagement um, governance um, is it is a critical part to that how are you going to engage with your customer who are you going to engage with um, what frequency what what does that person care about that might be different to the other person um, so th that's a large part of what our customer success plans um, look, look like today I guess when kind of shaping that does that help plan out the service that they're then likely to either subscribe to with regards to the CS based on the amount of involvement that it's going to take to help them to achieve that desired outcome yeah, I, I think what it um, what it really does is is ensure that when your customer starts engaging with you, they understand that they have a stake in this, they have a part to play in it. And again, lo lots of things that get kind of spoken around within CS, it's about being that trusted advisor and being a partner or, rather than just a vendor. Uh, the, the very kind of definition of partnership is something between two individuals or, or, or two groups of individuals. Um, so therefore, there's as much accountability on your customer to achieve that as, as it is on you as a vendor. Um, and I think it really ensures that from as early as possible, the customer understands that they have a stake in that as well. Yeah. Um, and, and there's been occasions where as a CS leader, I'm getting brought in because actually the CSMs are struggling to 
to deliver value to the customer because our customer's not engaged in it. Um, uh, going back to my time at Autodesk, I know there were a couple of examples there where it got to the stage where we decided that we were going to fire our customers because effectively they weren't contributing that. We can't be successful with our software or with our CS offering if that customer's not engaged. Um, and I think it's a very strong message to take, yeah. um, A, to your, your team, um, but B, to other customers. Look, look if you're going to be successful with, your soft, with our software, you have, to be, you have to be engaged and involved in this. Um, and, and yeah, I said, I think it's a strong message to take to the customers. Quite it's a strong message as a, as a CS organization that actually you, you're going to be successful, but it relies on, on our customers being, being successful with us. Yeah, because it's something we've been speaking about on the podcast series, really. It's just like, where do you see CSM sometimes wasting time? Mm. And, a, and a big topic that comes up is lack of engagement from the customer, but still trying to engage with those customers that perhaps maybe you just don't, don't want to engage with us. Um, so it would be, I guess, like to your point there around like firing customers, is that literally where you're kind of said to a customer, we will no longer work with you? It, it, it's, it, it effectively gets to the stage where um, if a customer is that um, vocal, that we will, and I guess there's probably two ways of doing it. Very rarely does it get a stage where you can contractually say, look, your contract goes for another three years, we're going to stop it. 18 months early, very rarely does it get to that stage, but it does get to the stage where it's like, look, at the end of this renewal period, we're not doing what you want it to do. You're not engaging it. You're not bought into it. Maybe it's best if we part ways and you go and find a vendor that maybe suits your needs more than, than we can. Um, so I definitely think there's there's that part to it. As I said, very rarely does it get to a stage where you can contractually walk away midterm um, the, the other things that we've we've got to as well um, is actually where the customer isn't engaged and we, um, if there's such a word, desegmentation them uh, and we take them outside of the segment that we've assigned them and said, look, if if you're not gonna if you're not gonna use a a flagship CSM that's high touch that's on site, then actually we'll put you in our growth team and you get a CSM that isn't going to come on on site because actually th there's no value in that. Um, and that's where I think going back to one of our original points, the maturity model potentially really does come into its own because you, if your customer's mature enough to have that engagement that really warrants a CSM that is highly experienced, highly paid, going on site and investing time. I mean, I've, I've, I've said this to our customers, we're in a business, this isn't a charity. So when I'm giving you my, my best people to try and help you achieve something, yeah. if you're not ready for it, Let's have a grown-up conversation about it. Let's give you 12 months. We're not going to disengage with you, but actually we're going to have somebody that is going to speak to you about things that matter to you today. And then when you're mature enough and ready enough, then we move you up to the segment where you get somebody on site and we can take it to the next level. And is there anything that you think helps increase that maturity of the of the client? Is it like an education piece? Is it finding new stakeholders to engage with? I think probably a combination of those and, and maybe other things. Um, I think when when you were talking about the, the the kind of the question around CSMs being counterproductive, I would argue that ninety nine point nine percent of the time it isn't an individual CSM's fault. It's usually because they've been set up to fail by a CS leader or an organisation, um, and it goes to the points exactly that we spoke about earlier. Um, so for me, it's less about the CSMs being counterproductive, more about the CSMs not being set up to be successful from day one. Um, and that's where CS leaders like myself have to look at ourselves. Um, and wider organisations potentially need to look at themselves. Yeah, it's quite an interesting take, actually. I think that's yeah. the first time someone's actually mentioned it in that that way, really. It's a good, it's um, a good, yeah, good point, though, because even with regards to like just reviewing how the clients are segmented mm. into those different groups, such as growth, um, it is kind of the it is on the the leader, yeah, to to kind of do that segmentation. Yeah, I mean, your point your point when you're kind of introducing that question was around. Um, was it around CSMs needing to build greater engagements? Well, are those CSMs skilled enough and knowledgeable enough to know how to do that? That's not something, I mean, all of us as CS leaders say, right, we want you to increase your engagement with the customer. Off you go. 
it's not easy. You don't you don't walk into an office and say, okay, you're my stakeholder today. Can you introduce me to the next level up, the C level? It, it, it isn't as easy as doing that. So you have to empower your CSMs with the skills and knowledge, confidence to be able to know how to do that. So it goes back to my point that it isn't the individual CSMs that I think that are, are being counterproductive. It's making sure the CS leaders empower your CSMs to, to be successful. And even thinking about it from like a metrics point of view, you need the right metrics to drive those behaviors as well. So if the metrics are not correct, if it is focused around perhaps maybe engagement of the product, then you're less likely to be having conversations with your clients on desired yep. outcomes because you're just trying to drive product adoption. Yeah. I think when you talk about kind of metrics and, and behaviors, um, I think a lot of companies make the mistake of starting with the metrics and then complain about the behaviors that people are delivering. Actually, you probably need to start at the end point, which is actually what behaviors do you want your CSMs to deliver and then put the metrics in place to drive those those behaviors a, a lot of people and i've probably made the mistake over the 10 years that i've been in cs leadership roles starting with the metrics and then looking at it and going why are your csms doing that oh hold on when you've targeted them on doing that so you really do need to kind of start at the desired outcome stage for us as a company and as a cs organization and then look at the metrics that drive that yeah i agree i think sometimes um a lot of organizations although they may have this sort of success plan in place they will then once they've done that plan they'll revert back to the idea of okay well to do that i need to do five calls a month with that client two on sites yeah and and it is based on the um i guess the more transactional metrics rather than it it, you could have one meeting yeah rather than five and if they still get the same outcome then you know they still get the same level of value basically exactly yeah i guess just talking around that with regards to measurement what would you or what do you ask from your csms across those kind of different segments so with regards to like the flagship growth and digital yeah how are they each measured differently um so so we actually have a um an organizational wide series of metrics that our csms are are measured on and, and rewarded on so a bonus scheme in place based on on key metrics um so we have a retention number um, that retention number is associated with the retention of preferred success, so the paid engagement. Um, we have um, a, um, a topic, delivery excellence, and that encompasses a number of more subjective uh, factors that we would look at measuring our CSMs on. So everything from customer success plan uh, execution um, to... Um, business review execution um, uh, outcomes um, that you could argue is part of the the, the customer success plan but we've kind of separated it um, as as being kind of the two areas Um, and the third area that we measure our CSMs on it's a bit of a controversial one for for our CSMs is around margin Um, and I, I get I totally get why they have some questions and challenges around that because they would argue how much they can influence it. Um, I think as individuals it's very hard to influence it, but as a team it, it is it is something that we have to be um, conscious and aware of. Um, I would argue it's probably more something that that I have to kind of be in control of. Um, but it's important for us as a business as it should be for most most businesses to achieve a certain margin. Um, and that ensures that our CSMs are questioning the best use of their time, their resources to deliver those outcomes that our customers want to want to achieve. And the margin's influenced by not just things like travel, but other other paid resources that we have within our organisation that we have to subsidise within our within our team and organisation to deliver for our customers. I think a lot of companies probably don't put enough emphasis sometimes on the cost of service especially for your smaller accounts or clients where perhaps maybe it actually takes more work in a lot of instances to actually renew those yep. year after year versus your more flagship clients that sometimes can even require less support yep. on-site visits and they will continue to renew and looking at maybe some of the differences in how the cost of a CSM Yep. Well, I, I mean, I I probably put I probably put Autodesk and my time at Autodesk a, a, bit, a bit on a pedestal um, and I was there the longest period of time. 
Um, I think it was probably the company that best demonstrates the evolution of their CS offering from the very start of it to where they were when I left. And, and that's, and that, that evolution has, has continued since I've left. Um, but one of the things I think they did very well was taking that margin that I talk about here at SAP as a, as a group metric, but actually ensuring our CSMs owned their own margin for their customers. So actually, you know, as a CSM looking after maybe three customers at Autodesk, um, you know that actually each one of those three customers should have four business reviews a year. Um, you know the engagement model for that customer means that you could be on site and another 12 times a year. Um, and you may need to deliver two more activities. All of that costs X, um, the value of the customer is Y, and therefore the margin is, is Z. Um, so every CSM would know what their parameters are for managing their customer and the profitability of their, their, their book of business. Um, I, I, I think it's the best model. Um, it takes a lot of work to get to that stage, not just in terms of being able to have the data that allows you to do it, but also ensuring that your CSMs are knowledgeable enough to, to understand why it's important. And I think it, you're, you're right to your point earlier. I think it's one of the, the big gaps in, I think, CSMs generally is not understanding kind of the financial running of a company and if we're going a little bit more specific i think probably the SaaS yeah. element of running the business and, and sap is very complex because it is kind of hybrid between kind of on-prem and, and SaaS. so it, it it will vary quite significantly um but i generally believe and we were talking about podcasts before we went live i think looking at some of the SaaS related podcasts that are in existence help me with my knowledge about the financial running of a company especially kind of startups and scale-ups because they talk a lot more around the metrics that matter most to them because it is more critical for them than it is a multi-billion dollar business like sap um and that helped my knowledge um and I think CSMs can definitely kind of focus more around their their financial knowledge of how a how a company works, how it's successful, and and the metrics that matter to them. I think that's a good point, actually. Just even in terms of understanding where CS kind of fits into that revenue cycle and being able to justify yep. the the cost of a CS team because you can kind of show how it in, like result, results in probably the lifetime value of a com uh, customer, yep. especially, and being able to kind of work out how much that would actually contribute yeah. to over the long term um i guess based on that with regards to csms is there actually and i imagine you've hired a lot of csms over your career do you want some numbers i i, <laughs> I so i i did last year 138 interviews wow nice um as i grew the sap cs team in amir from i think i probably inherited about 12 um and we're up to 32 csms this year wow. um yeah uh, there, there's there's parts of interviewing I, mm. I enjoy. I like the final stages, presentations, yeah. and where people can be a bit creative. But the kind of the early stage reviewing CVs, hopefully no one that I'm going to be interviewing in the next couple of years kind of listens to this. But <laughs> some, you know from kind of the first five minutes whether there's someone that's really stoked your interest yeah. Yeah. or not. And yeah. I imagine you've seen quite a few CVs then. <laughs> it's interesting there was a there was a cs event um a few months ago um that was talking about kind of hiring i'll be honest the first thing i do um and and obviously sap have success factors and i get my my cvs come through the first thing i do is cut and paste their name from the cv and put it in linkedin my my view now is actually linkedin gives me a better clearer view around the profile of someone than the CV does. I very rarely look at a CV in any detail. Interesting. And what would you look for when you're interviewing somebody in terms of like their skills, qualities? So I have got the worst acronym, um, <laughs> um, but but it works for me. So the acronym is CROP, and I and I have to be careful how I say it sometimes. Um, so the, so the C is change management. So I think it's probably one one of the the most critical skills today of a, of a CSM, being able to take your customer on a journey of change, whether that journey is from on-prem to cloud, whether it's from vendor X to vendor Y, 
um, or taking them from that stage of immaturity earlier where we're talking about incident management through to outcome management. Um, so change management for me is one of the, the critical skills. That doesn't mean that you have a, a certificate or an award in change management, but can you articulate how you've taken a customer or a project or an internal something through a period of change and what the key components of that um the second um letter of that acronym is r um and it's probably the most easiest one to justify is relationship management but but the reason the reason i call it out so specifically is that relationship management doesn't mean that you've got experience in csm it could mean other things so within my uh, csm team uh, at sap we've got people from sales we've got people from consulting um, <coughs> excuse me we've got people that have worked for our customers um, so actually if you can demonstrate and articulate that you can build long-term sustainable relationships um, critically both with customers and internally then then that's a vital a vital skill that I look for um, O um, is outcome management and again we've spoken about outcomes so you can understand why that why that's so important um, it's very hard to interview for outcome management. Um, so it's about phrasing the questions right in your interview process to make sure that you get that individual being able to articulate that they understand that it is about helping their customers um, achieve something with, with a software or solution. Um, and P, um, depends what day of the week, it could be project management, it could be program management, and I guess they're very similar. Um, but, but ultimately it goes back to kind of the customer success plan that we were talking about. Can you break down what your customer wants to achieve into a series of activities and tactics? Um, and for me, a customer success plan is a project plan of sort or a program plan of sort. Yeah. How are you gonna to get to that end goal with a series of activities, with a series of deadlines, with a variety of stakeholders, both internal and external, that will influence that. So they're the four kind of components that I really look at in detail. And yes, there's other things um, that I would also kind of throw in there, kind of on the periphery. So empathy, um, commercial awareness. Um, I think one of the other things, I, I did a podcast um, quite a while ago with Adam Joseph, um, and we spoke about interviewing and hiring. And I think one of the things that we came up with is sometimes it's just a gut feel. Sometimes it is actually, I know this person gets it, that they, they get what customer success is. They, they get that it's important to put the customer at the heart of everything they're doing. And you can't necessarily put it into words or you can't necessarily score it. It's just that they're the right person at that time for that role that you're interviewing for. So gut feel. I like, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. Think I think so. that's a big component I, of a lot I, of things. I actually, just, it, it feels right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm what I would say about interviewing is that um, very few people have a hundred percent success rate on on interviewing. Um, I've definitely made mistakes hiring people. People have probably made mistakes coming to work for me, and not, I'm not the right leader for them, or we're not the right company for them, and that's that's okay. It's quite a lot to get out of such a concise. Yeah, um, it's session isn't it like an hour long if if that. Yeah, which time. is which is why um, a large part of the interview process at SAP that that I do in my hiring process, and as as leaders, I guess we have a degree of flexibility to to put your your own kind of process in place. But we have a case study, so we give this is the final stage. This is the this is a customer situation, um, and we don't give them all the information. Um, because actually very rarely as a CSM do you have all that information from day one um, and then we ask them to present um, how would you present a, a, a QBR for that customer um, and it's interesting because a lot of um, a lot of people will come back and say you haven't given me all the information I need to deliver this well welcome to the real world um, secondly some people make assumptions and that's okay um, and and thirdly they actually put those gaps into the business review. And I would argue that's probably the best way of doing it, is saying actually they're delivering the business review and they'll say, look, I don't understand this. Mm -hmm. um, I'm new to the your business or I'm new to SAP. Um, 
can we use this opportunity to learn more about your business in the future? And it helps build that, that activity. So I think for me, that kind of um, case study stage is probably the most critical one and, and eye-opening. Um, and it's amazing. And we do it in front of a panel, some of the senior CSM, regional directors. Sometimes I use people outside of my organization that we're gonna be working with. Yeah. Um, during the early stages of the interview process, you kind of have your favorites or the ones that you think are strong. It's amazing how many of them then go into the case study stage and you're like, yeah, you just don't get it, do you? Yeah. And yeah. then on the flip side, there's people that you're going, I'm not sure they get it. And then they absolutely smash it out of the water. So for me, that, that case study is 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 real kind of, that's the enjoyable part of interviewing those that stage of it. I guess as well, you can see how people react under pressure as well, because when you haven't got all of the information, yeah. it can test like a CSM's true character yeah. in terms it, of like how they approach it. And Yeah. It's, you know, I would say that I'm quite a, I think I'm quite a gentle interviewer when it comes to that stage. But some of the people that I brought in, if you're bringing in kind of sales leaders, um, there was a gentleman at Autodesk who I brought in from our talent acquisition team, um, and he predominantly hired in, in sales roles he was really aggressive and I was like I mean I kind of like sunk into my seat a little bit I was slightly embarrassed that he was so aggressive in Ruthless. Pros. it was brutal and I'm like <laughs> but it was interesting to see that individual and he came away and he rang me about an hour later he goes I wasn't prepared for that I probably didn't do a good enough job of of kind of of answering those um, I think sometimes though like you say you, you do get to understand because you could always have a situation where that might be a client that you work with that could be the personality type of a customer so it, it is useful to see how someone reacts to that yeah. and going back to what you said before around um, having the honesty and the integrity to say to a client well you know I don't understand this bit but turning that into an opportunity yeah. like you said I think that's the ideal yeah exactly outcome. perfect um, so on that note one of the the sections that we've been doing is around um, advice. So if there's someone that's wanting to move into CS, um, what would be your key recommendations and advice for them? I, I, I struggled a little bit with this and obviously you, you gave me a few prompters, kind of the angles where we would go at. Um, I mean, I look at but back at my customer success career um, and I'm definitely not old, but I'm, <laughs> I feel old when I say this. When, when, I, when I started my career, um, customer success didn't exist so it's hard to look back and go actually what advice would I give to people to get into CS when actually I would argue I've stumbled my way around it but actually that got me to kind of maybe one of the answers that or one of the responses I would I would give and, and one of them really is to kind of if you want to, to work in CS um, actually explore what other roles there are in the customer life cycle um, that helps you definitely have a greater appreciation of the colleagues that you're working with and it helps you build a more holistic view of the CS role and the the different elements of it. So I think I said in the introduction to, to, to myself earlier, I worked in everything from marketing, pre-sales, sales, customer service, customer support um, and probably a few other things that, that I missed out. That definitely helped me get to be the CSM that I was. Um, so I, I definitely think that's a, a vital part of it. Um, and the, the second kind of piece that, that I put down actually is something that we, t we, we, we covered a minute, um, actually understanding financials. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it is important for, for CSMs um, to really understand the financials of you as a business, as the company you work for, but also your customers as well. Um, if you're wanting to elevate yourself as a CSM, um, it comes with building credibility. If you can talk to senior executives at your customers about the things that matter most to them, and arguably it's going to be a lot of those financial elements, um, then your credibility raises as well. So I guess the early, the early advice is around maybe looking at some of those other roles to get a greater experience and appreciation of um, who you're working with as a CSM. And the second one is probably the, the, the latter stages of how you're kind of building your credibility and maturity as a CSM um, and focusing on kind of some of those financials and, and understanding and, and learning. Yeah, I think the, the financials is a really important section. It kind of starts you off with that leadership mentality because yeah. you're almost approaching it as, well, this is going to be my mini book of business. And like you say, if you can understand what are the margins, how does it operate, yeah. then 
it already puts you in a position where if and when you become a leader, then yeah. you, you already have the experience it, in that. It's a great point because going back to kind of the metrics that we have at SAP and when we spoke about margin, it was interesting which CSMs challenged me on that yeah. and which CSMs went, this is great, I, I, I want this. Yeah. Um, and they're the ones that I think show leadership behaviours. Um, and again, lot, lots of CSMs that I've worked with in the past want to move into leadership roles and, and I'm saying, well, demonstrate those behaviors it's not about doing courses and there are courses about becoming a better leader but actually demonstrating leadership traits and behaviors are things that you can do on a daily basis and to me that's a really good example of where someone's gone actually this is a great opportunity for me to demonstrate that i get the financial workings of a of a business and a company um so there's yeah so there's a really good kind of response to it that that i i like from certain individuals yeah fantastic are there um, any resources you would recommend to our listeners to perhaps maybe go to to learn more about the financials of a company um, or SAS in particular? So uh, I think one of the ones um, one of the ones that I relied heavily on um, was the podcast by Harry Stebbings, and um, it's um, it's owned through Sasta, so Jason Lemkin's um, organisation. Um, and I did a lot of that when I worked at Ransom Rave. So Ransom Rave was definitely kind of a smaller company to where I am today. I felt it was important for me to understand then, more importantly than maybe SAP and Autodesk, that the financial workings of a, of a company. Um, those podcasts are great. Um, I A huge variety of guests they have on, covering everything from sales to CS, to founders to venture capitalists um and that podcast was definitely one of the the the, the most critical um sources available uh, i guess looking at autodesk and sap i'm lucky i have a, a huge variety and library of courses that are available online um that that helps me drive my knowledge i'm actually doing one i think tomorrow um just to keep on top of kind of my financial um uh, knowledge um i think cs generally there is a lot of resources out there um i think it's about finding one that suits you um suits the company you're working for suits what you're trying to achieve there's some great people out there that that talk on podcasts um that write blogs that talk at events um there's some great events around um bit of a self-plug there's the customer success europe event in dublin in september um which i'm talking at and i'll be talking around business outcomes surprise um so there's some great events out there um great podcasts out there um i think when we started um just before i said podcasts are my favorite source of learning because everybody's pressed for time um, and podcasts fill in those gaps, whether it's on a commute, whether it's after dropping your kids at school, whether it's giving yourself a dedicated half an hour and going for a walk. Um, it's the most accessible way of building your knowledge. So podcasts for me are a great way, and there's some, some great ones out there. Fantastic. That's great. Well, thank you so much for the interview. Got lots of value. I'm sure our listeners did too. Absolutely. Um, yeah, hope to Excellent. do this again. Thanks, Thanks guys. Cheers.